Imagine a world in which post-traumatic stress no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. That stigma of you can't talk to people it is so true. The experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I don't want to live this trauma again. Right. And he goes, yeah. you don't have to. I said, yeah. what? I just remember being able to stand by the water and look up at the sky and hear the noises. And I didn't think they were gunshots. I was like, those are Disney fireworks. I don't even know what to imagine for myself now, my future, because I have one. This is Life After PTSD. So I'm really excited about the podcast today because we had a really lengthy conversation with our friend Mel Jenner, who had PTSD for 70 years plus, actually, probably, yeah. maybe even 91 years. Um, yeah. And came, as an, came in to be a client at 97 years old and said, mm, this isn't going to work, but I'm 97 and it's good to be with people. So, right. And, and so, um, and then it changed his life, right? It yeah. was so cool. In a lot of different ways. Like, because also in that time period, he lost his wife of, uh, what is 72 70. years? 70 something years. Um, you know, which he needed some help overcoming to, to, to be able to jump into the new, the new marriage that <laughs> not he's to in. to forget her, but to move forward in right. his life, you know. Well, because he would, she would want him to move forward. Right. So we did yeah. a process on that too. And, yeah. um, but yeah, he's just, I, I just love him. There's so many things that I think though about this episode. Like one of the things is when he talks about um, when he signed up at 19 for the army air corps or the Michigan, Michigan air national guard. Yeah. The air national guard, because he was a little kid that liked airplanes. Right. And, and still today, but even back then, you know, it was like a normal thing, like to go serve your country, even if it wasn't wartime necessarily. And then of course, War, World War II broke out mm -hmm. and he gets on a boat and is shipped across yeah, to England. the sea to England. And then he talks about waiting around for boats. But the thing that I think really struck me is when they, when things happened, like when I ask him at some point in this, I say, well, wait, so six planes went down. He, 10 people were on each plane. That's 60 people. And what happened to those? Like, and he said, Oh, we didn't know. We didn't know. We never yeah, heard. We just fall to the earth. And we just went on. Yeah. We just kept doing our, if they survived, duty. you know, they were lucky enough to maybe survive or unlucky enough, depending on the case. Right. They may be have been POWs right. Right. or. Well, and then, and then yeah. the other thing is when he was talking about, um, when he was first talking about the A twenties and he's talking about our, we were running out of planes and, you know, you hear that we're running out of planes. Like, I mean, we're running out of toilet paper, right? Mm -hmm. No, people were dying because planes are crashing. That's why they were running out of planes. Yeah. It wasn't Which you it, probably think like that. Cause you're a first responder or veteran, you know, but I, yeah. Production wasn't able to keep up with the losses basically. Right. But people were losing their lives. So as oh, they yeah. were running out of airplanes, it meant in the people air, on lost the ground their and lives. in the sea. Right. Right. Yeah. Everywhere. And it just, to think about that. And then when we see these veterans, you know, you know, cause they have a hat on and you see them, you don't, people aren't thinking about what they may be thinking about. And that's because that's one thing he talks about is the fact that he would not, he couldn't even say the name or talk about the story. Yeah. And now he tells it pretty regularly and, and, um, 
and with feels relatively with, with ease. I mean, it's still, and that's, I think what people miss when we talk about like PTSD treatment or PTS treatment uh, is a little bit of a misnomer, right? Like, you know, yeah, maybe it'd be easier if you could just forget everything, but that's not real. That's not a realistic well, yeah, because something sad happened, right. but it doesn't have to. And I think it's about flood and, back. and that's part of it, right? Acknowledging and being able to to still know that's yeah, some bad things happened. However, I don't have to feel emotionally bad about them anymore. Which is phenomenal, right? Like yeah. bad things happen, and I can feel sad. Like it's sad, yeah. and acknowledge some of his story that I is sad, feel sad, right? But that doesn't. He didn't have to have nightmares, like he said. I played those missions dozens of times yeah you know? he had a lot of missions and and 46 missions he yeah. was only supposed to have to do um 25 or, well 25 yeah. initially then they changed it to 30 but it's just a neat story i just want everybody yeah. to listen and listen um though it'll it's two parts because it's long it's a, why else would it be two parts <laughs> but he just had so much to say and we'll probably have a third part and if you haven't heard Mel Jenner before we will link to his like previous podcast. Oh yeah. And, his documentary and his and previous podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I think we have some video videos coming out as well with him talking with his great grandson yes. about, um, who's, uh, you know, ten year, old, ten yeah, years old, old enough right? to yeah. understand, but yeah. you know, not old enough to go to war yet. Um, but talking a little bit about, uh, his trauma and, yeah, living and, with it and that it's okay to get help. And I think that's a great, um, it's great just a, a thing. message of hope. You know, yeah. Right? Well, in, in like, you know, in school and in, in a lot of uh, literature and stuff now, there's all this stuff about generational trauma, right? Mm, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, you're right. And how powerful is it for, you know, first of all, not many people in my, like, know their great grandparents. Oh yeah, you know? definitely. I mean, I uh, did grow up knowing mine, right, but I it's very, really, really rare. For one people. of them. Um, but like even I only had one grandparent that I remember like all of my life. Yeah. That's, or most of my, you know, most of my life into adulthood. Um, the others that were alive, you know, I was an infant and I don't remember them. And, you know, so, you know, I think there's some power and, and he's, you know, Mel that is, is break potentially trying to break that cycle by talking to his great grandson about it. Right. About what PTSD is and how he got yeah. therapy. I mean, how cool is that? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, because back in the day, right. It was a shameful thing to get therapy, right. You only got it if you were broken. Right. Well, and therapy and in, in, in the world war two era was considerably different. Um, mm, true. Not to mention, you know, PTSD definitely didn't, uh, exist as a diagnosis at that time you know there was there was other words terms for it and and basically it was just accepted like all right that's you know you're shell-shocked yeah. or you're you know you have um uh war fatigue or the you know, the different well, names and, they and used the thing over is, the years. because they didn't talk about it i don't think anybody really really knew except for the ones that um that were really bad and maybe went to took you know drugs mm -hmm. or alcohol you know went to that where, where other things were showing up, people like mm -hmm. Mel, who actually went on and did his job and didn't he, well, and he didn't have issues. Remained until, honestly, in the after. service for a full full career, 
uh, there, retired from, you know, Air Force and service. And didn't have PTSD and, symptoms until after. Well, he he didn't talk about this on this podcast, but he later worked at Disney. Mm-hmm. I think 20 years, like supervising a crew at Disney and then and then did fishing, um, the oh, bass yeah, the fishing tournaments. tournaments and yeah. he really didn't start having symptoms until then, till way later. Now, he probably had, he may have had nightmares he just never talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like what happens to those people, you know, we... We just don't know. We don't know what they were dealing with. Yeah. And, and I, I hear it and see it in the first responder community too. Mm-hmm. I talk to a lot of retirees now, um, you know, who help out doing peer support stuff and they, you know, pretty consistently short of a few of them, but the vast majority of them and not just here in central Florida, but in, in other States and other parts of the country. And so many of them talk about how I was good until I retired. And then mm-hmm. When I retired, uh, you know, I never had a nightmare before I retired. And then all of a sudden, all these calls I ran, you know, 20 or 30 years ago are flooding back. And how terrible, right? You finally get a break from your job. Right. And you're retired. You're retired. You've fulfilled your, your civil, you know, your duty to this, to the city, to, you know, to wherever you work, to people, wherever you work. And now you have all these things coming back. It's like, you can't even rest. We all yeah. know how lack of rest affects you. So yeah, and you know, there's so much coming out about that too. But but I think on on that note of holding things, you know, things flooding in after retirement. You know, I've thought about it a lot because I'm approaching Close to retirement, yeah. approaching a, a But then you're going to go help people. Uh, uh, to yeah, but I've also done a lot of trauma. you know work myself. You know, on myself. Uh, you know, I, I sit here on this podcast not only as a counselor, but uh, person who seeks counseling uh, pretty regularly. And so, you know, I definitely advocate for that, but I think about the the mechanisms, the psychological mechanisms that exist, you know, to protect you during your career, you know, you compartmentalize all that stuff until there comes a time when you, I think there's the time and space to kind of allow that to relax. You think you've reached the start line or, you know, some people call it the finish line. I call it the start line retirement, (laughs) you know? Um, And, you know, so those, those things things like you show, because you have that responsibility of having to show up to work every day and be there for your crew and be for, be there for the people that you're, you're helping. So you have to put, you have to compartmentalize. There's a reason for it to Mm -hmm. be held back. And, and I think when you leave then, that reason no longer exists. And maybe that, you know, I don't know if that exact is exactly what happened to, to Mel, but, but I, I hear that like the same kind of. Well, it's interesting. I've met Mel's son and I, I really, I really like him. He's, his name is, his name is Bud. And, um, he came back, he served in Vietnam mm-hmm. and he mentioned to me one day when he got back from Z- Vietnam, he and his dad passed in the driveway and you know, Hey, that was it. There was not like, Hey, tell me about what happened. Are you okay? And and I'm so sorry you had to serve or, or, or thank you for serving or, mm-hmm. or wow. Are you, you just, because Mel hadn't dealt with his things yet. Right. He just did that well, recently. And, right. Yeah. And, and they didn't know talking about, ask. you know, that's a different kind of generational trauma. Yes. Right? Like they both, ha- you know, either had to, or chose to go to, talk to, to, him so much, yeah. to, to go to war. And so that, that's a whole different thing. And then you add the complexity of your you know, father having issues with trauma potentially. And it's just a whole other level, you know. Well, and and then 
you know, I think anybody who went to Vietnam has some issues with PTSD regardless because it was just Vietnam, that era. It was a very different kind of war. Not that, you know, not comparing every war is a little bit different, you know, up to and including Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, in the modern era. But, but we um, just didn't know what to do when Vietnam came back. We no, no. And that's why, you know, PTSD, the diagnosis came around in the first place was really as a result of the Vietnam era veterans. Um, and then subsequent you know, treatments kind of erupted from from that. And, and, and we continue to learn more now. Well, and now we know so much more just even in the last 10 years. Well, I mean, even in the last two or three years. And now are there things like what we do that can help first responders help each other and help veterans help each other. And there's yeah. organizations like Fairway for Warriors that, you know, supports this podcast and, and helps train peers, veterans who are peers to be able to help each other. How cool is that? Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, that's, that's what they need. So anyway, yeah. And without it, further yeah. ado. And, and yeah. it acts like a force multiplier, right? Like we, yes, we can't necessarily so force people to go into the counseling professions, but I think there are tons of veterans, veteran first responders, uh, insert the career, you know, I had a one nurses, I mean, one nurse. person say one time uh, when we were trying to, uh, work on creating a peer support team. I said, well, the, the secretaries don't have a peer team. Why should you have one? I go, they should, they can join ours. Come on. Everybody <laughs> should have one. You never know. Like you don't, it's not for us to, to make some value judgment on just because you're sitting behind a desk that you can't have trauma, you know, outside of work well, and, and let's face it, active now, shooter stuff. I yeah, mean, well, geez, now, there's so many crazy things that can happen. And today now, as we sit here, we're with, we have active shooters and we've had pandemics and we've had everything we've had. Just, just looking at the internet, you could sit there and yeah. be traumatized by what you're seeing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which, vicarious trauma. I mean, and people don't realize that that is a real thing. You know, imagining what can happen. We have clients that still aren't going out because of what could happen to right. me. Yeah. So, so without further ado, let's hear Mel. So Mel, Let's see, we are in November. So this month, you have a very special birthday. You are about to be 100 years old. That's amazing. I'm just so honored to be sitting next to you. What should I say? <laughs> what, what's you're, it you're, like to be almost 100? Yeah. Do you still feel... So, so I just turned 50. I'm half your age, okay? Yeah. And I feel like I should be... 25. So do you feel like you should be 50? I would like to be 50, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, many, many years ago, I, I said to my family and uh, everybody that I would like to, to live to be 100. And of course, uh, that has always stuck in my, in my brain for years and years and I I went through a period of my life that I I just lived from one day to the other uh, and uh, and you weren't thinking about being a hundred I was never ever thinking about being a hundred I never really uh, thought I would ever make a hundred is that when you were suffering with um, 
from effects of the war, from PTSD? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, at that time, when I first went overseas, I was 19 years old. And uh, I had never, I had, when I was six, come close to not making it. But uh, I lived through that. And, of course, uh, joined the service and uh, went overseas when the war started. And I, I knew nothing about combat. Uh, I was always just depending on somebody else to lead the way, I guess. Well, and let me interrupt right there. Um, one thing I realized recently was, I had just never thought about it, but you didn't have TV and shows and all of these no, things no, sure showing <laughs> you what it was like, right? That's right. Kids today, even yeah, though it doesn't compare, yeah. they have seen movies about yeah, yeah, combat. They've seen, yeah, yeah, and again, yeah. it's different than yeah, yeah. watching that than being it, but it's it was completely different, completely right. Well, that's what I something you never experienced. I never, never could picture what combat was like, or uh, how dangerous it was, or what they were going to do and what we were going to do. But uh, so, when you got over, when you signed up at nineteen, and um, what happened? I mean, what what do you remember? What are the highlights? I mean, what. What, what would you like people to know? I, uh, when I was just a youngster, I loved airplanes. I used to build model airplanes and uh, I'd draw pictures of airplanes. I loved airplanes. And I got the opportunity to join the Michigan Air National Guard. And uh, they had a squadron uh, named the 107th observation squadron in Romulus, Michigan. And of course, uh, when I went out there and uh, they took me uh, through the airplanes that they had and uh, I just loved them. Anyway, I joined the Michigan Air National Guard and was in that outfit when war was declared. And of course, uh, in October the 15th, in 1941, I think it was, uh, the Michigan Air National Guard was mobilized into federal service. And what that meant was we were in the Army, Army Air Corps, because there was no Air Force at that time. But anyway, uh, I joined the, uh, and it wasn't too long after that, we were on our way overseas. And when I got overseas by boat, got off the ship, and we were bused to a uh, field, an airfield, and there was no airplanes on it, and we didn't have any airplanes. In fact, the airplanes that we was uh, supposed to have went to North Africa. And uh, this went on for about a month. And uh, finally, 
we kept getting word that our airplanes were on the way in. Well, they didn't come. They were, and we didn't found out later they was all going to North Africa. But finally, we got about a dozen uh, A20s. The A20 was an attack bomber, a twin engine, uh, like a fighter bomber nowadays. But uh, uh, anyway, and we had never flown that that airplane. We flew it for about a month, trained in it, and uh, started flying combat. What our missions were, we sent four, five, six airplanes out uh, to France or Belgium or, or one of the countries, and uh, we'd go after uh, power stations, airfields, and and uh, uh, marshaling yards and airfields. <laughs> but anyway, and uh, we'd drop our bombs usually about 12,000 feet. And as soon as we dropped our bombs, we would dive down to the low, low uh, area and uh, look for uh, trains or maybe an airfield that we could just go along and uh, uh, shoot up with, uh, with our machine guns. And this happened. Uh, I flew a total of uh, 15 missions in that type of airplane. But after about, uh, oh, I don't know, nine, ten air, uh, missions that we flew on, we... Uh, run out of airplanes in our American squadron. We had two airplanes left. And, wait, wait, uh, when you run out of airplanes, what does that mean? It means they were shot down? Yes. Okay. So we just waited for a couple weeks for our airplanes, for new airplanes to arrive. They never did. So, so, so I, I just have a really, I have a quick question. So as these airplanes, as you were running out of airplanes, people were getting shot down. They were dying. Like, their lives were well, over, right? I oh. guess we never heard. You never heard. So never you didn't heard know. anything about the 820 people. Wow. Never, never heard. Well, there was only a, two people in, in that airplane. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, they were gone. And more than likely, they were... But deceased. it wasn't talked about. It just no, nobody it, talked about it. No. Okay. But anyway, uh, somebody in higher headquarters decided that the uh, Royal Air Force had the same type airplane that we had, and we could go over and fly with them. Well, we that's what we did, uh, the two of our crews, and... Uh, one was my buddy. His name was Oscar McClure. And him and I had been friends for uh, many years because he was from Michigan. And uh, anyway, we started flying with them. And uh, I ended up with a total of 15. They called me back and said, uh, our new airplanes was arriving in 
in 10 days and uh, we should get ready for them. Well, they didn't come. And all this time we were just killing time. And, uh, and how, many, how many missions did you have to fly before they were sending people home? Uh, at that period of time, 25 missions. Okay. Yeah. Was, so you were at about 15. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, when the airplane, when our airplanes didn't, uh, didn't arrive, uh, as promised, I went into my squadron commander and, uh, asked him if he would arrange for me to be transferred to a, a B-17 squadron. And he looked at me like, uh, he says, Mel, he says, are you crazy? <laughs> Here we were flying in A-20s. The longest mission probably was three hours. And uh, and that was it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I told him I just wanted to get it over with. I wanted to... Uh, get my 25 missions and then go home. Well, he says, I'll see what I can do. A few days later, a few days later, he called me in his office and he had me some papers and he says, this is your transfer. And I looked at them, and they were to the 452nd Bomb Squadron, a B-17 outfit that had just arrived in England uh, not too too long before that. And uh, I went, got ready, got my stuff, took the train, and uh, got off at this certain <laughs> the railroad station, and there was a. Did you uh, go by yourself? Yes. <laughs> Imagine that you hadn't yeah. been out of Michigan, probably yeah. right, and now you're in yeah. in England and yeah. taking a train to the next next station yeah. to, to anyway, fly some B seventeens. That's when I got to the railroad station. I got off, and there was a, a, a airman waiting for me, and uh, put took me in a truck, went to the squadron, and uh, I was assigned to the 728 uh, bomb squadron. I went into the uh, commander's office, and uh, he called me, and he said, I, I just read some of your paperwork, and he says, you already flown 15 missions, and uh, he welcomed me. And he told me he had had a crew for me. To, they needed a waste gunner. And uh, uh, I thought, well, good. <laughs> well, this, what happened was they took me out to the airplane and run me through the, uh, the inside and the outside and showed me where my station would be. And, uh, and I met the crew and... And it was good. The following Monday. Hold, was, hold on. Let me ask you a question, though. Yeah. They, you had 15 missions, yeah. but they didn't give you credit for all those 15 missions, right? Well, the squadron commander, when he said, 
I say, you have 15 missions. He says, I'll see if I can give you or get you any credit for those. And I says, well, that would be good. <laughs> so and, and everything helped. But anyway, in the B-17, if you had 25 missions, you went home. It was just automatic. Well, lo and behold, halfway through the 25, they changed it to 30. They made it 30 missions. Well, of course, nobody liked it, but and that's what we had. But anyway, my first mission, after flying three-hour missions, my first mission was 11 hours and 15 minutes that we went to Brooks, Czechoslovakia. We lost, in our squadron alone, we lost six airplanes. And, and there's I, 10 men per airplane? Yes. Mm. And when we we landed back at the base, I got out of the airplane and walked to the tail of the ship, got down on my knees. Did you kiss the ground? And asked the good Lord if I made a mistake. Mm. But uh, and, and I felt uh, I felt so not knowing what I was doing, you know. And I thought, well, after that, I just every day I just lived for the next day to come. And uh, and of course, do you remember? Do you remember feeling fearful? Do I remember? Do you remember feeling fearful when you went oh, on those yes, missions? Oh, yes, very, very. And you didn't uh, necessarily think you uh, were going to uh, make it through the next I just, one? I just figured every day was, well, I got by today. I'll probably get it tomorrow. Mm. And uh, So now sitting here at almost 100 years, how does that feel now? Well, I went for so many years. I went for about 75 years with something that I carried around. And I I know it affected me because I had bad dreams at night and uh, nightmares and in uh, uh, every mission that I was on. I've probably flew a dozen times. <laughs> Like a thought about it in yeah, your brain, yeah. In my we, we we call those flashbacks, in my, right? In yeah. My dreams. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, I uh, I just never talked about it. None of my friends talked about it. My family n never knew what I did. And uh, and then when I went back and got discharged and went back into the service. I had a wonderful career. I, well, uh, hold on, go back, go back for just a minute. Okay. So you were flying these B-17s and your first mission, you said, wow, did I make a mistake? What was I thinking? That was yes. tough, 11 yeah. hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine being on a plane that long, especially, yeah. and, and you lost yeah. 60 men, right? Right. Right. Uh -huh. and, and then, you, I know you've told me in the past, you thought to yourself, 
well, you said you weren't sure that the next, you thought the next flight would be uh, the end, yeah, your last flight. Yeah, well. Not because it was your last flight enough, but because yeah. you wouldn't make it. Your, your, right, yeah. I didn't. I, uh, but anyway, I had, I think, uh, I had nine missions already in the B-17. And, uh, of course, I figured uh, if, if I got, Full credit for the eight twenties. Uh, I had one more mission to go, and and I would go home. But uh, of course, they changed then to thirty. But anyway, that uh, that's when uh, I was walking to the Chaw Hall this one morning, and this uh, one guy was coming towards us, and I says to the guy that was with me, I says, I know that guy. I said, he was my old buddy, Oscar McClure. And sure enough, as I got closer, I, I knew it was him. Anyway, we greeted each other, and he told me what squadron he was in. It happened to be in the same squadron I was in. And he told me they had assigned him to a, a, a crew yet, but he was uh, uh, he was ready to start flying too. Well, <laughs> that everything went fine because uh, Oscar and I had been uh, close, close friends for many years, and I had bailed him out of jail a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good friend. Because, yeah, <laughs> we was <laughs> well. Anyway, <laughs> Wait, had you really bailed him out of jail? Huh? Had yeah. you really? For yeah. real? Oh. Well, I hadn't heard that part of the story. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Anyway, Oscar was, uh, on this day, was on his uh, fourth mission. And uh, and I was would have been my tenth. And we was going to an aerodrome in uh, France. And it happened to be that my player, my squadron, was the lead squadron in that formation. And the lead squadron, uh, we were the number one airplane. In other words, the lead airplane. And uh, flying off of our left wing was Oscar and his crew, and there was, another, of course, another one on our right wing. And then there was a another three airplanes behind us. Well, anyway, Oscar knew that our airplane was alongside of his, and he was a ball turret operator in his ship. <laughs> and he'd take his guns and he'd point them at me and then wave them, move them up and down just like he was waving his hands at me. And I'd take my gun and wave it back at him. And this went on for a few minutes. And we started getting some anti-aircraft flak. And I ducked behind the window a little bit. And uh, to get a... <laughs> why, I don't know, because there was no, no uh, airplane sheet metal that would fly stop a piece of flak. But anyway, when the flak kind of stopped, I turned my head around 
to look out the window again, and uh, all I saw was a wing come flying by with two engines on it, and the engines were still turning, and no airplane attached to the wings. I looked over, and I see Oscar's plane going into a dive and a spin, and I, I, I just knew that because there's no way Oscar could ever even get out of that position uh, once the airplane started spinning. And of course, Oscar lost his life. And, that, and it, I felt so bad that I couldn't do anything to help him. And I went for many, many years and could never even mention his name or think about it and uh, without just coming to pieces. So I just, I, I never mentioned Oscar's name or what happened to him. Or, in fact, uh, we just never talked about it. And... Uh, even after I went back into the service and uh, uh, was working on airplanes, and uh, I was uh, <laughs> stationed at uh, Edwards Air Force Base in California. Who's yours, Edward? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, at that time, uh, I. Uh, I was assigned so many airplanes, and uh, and of course the years that had already gone by, and and I uh, I think I was a tech sergeant at that time, and uh, I was a crew chief on a B thirty six, the largest airplane that we had at that time, had ten engines on it, and uh, I flew in the B twenty nines. B-50s, I flew in a, I was a crew chief on a B-45, which was a jet, and uh, <laughs> one time uh, when I was on this B-45, uh, I got orders to take, uh, to fly with the airplane to Tampa, Florida, and uh, we did, just two of us, a pilot and myself, we landed at... Uh, Tampa, right? Tampa. McDill, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, the follow me jeep led us to a place out in the middle of the field. And uh, we had no idea what, uh, what was taking place, but... Uh, Anyway, we followed him to where he was leading us. And they stopped, and we got out of the airplane, and uh, a jeep come up and picked us up and uh, carried us to a, a place about 100 yards away from the airplane. And uh, there was a big tent, and they had a big table underneath uh, the tent. And... Uh, uh, there was a oh a dozen people, I guess there, maybe more. And um, they was having lunch, 
So they waved at us to come in and have lunch with them. And lo and behold, it was Jimmy Stewart and June Allison. (laughs) 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 And of course, they introduced us to them too. And uh, I sat at a table and across from me was was June Allison and Jimmy Stewart was on the, uh, I think on the left side of her. <laughs> but anyway, Sounds like a horrible day, right? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Jimmy Stewart was making the, uh, the movie Strategic Air Command. And our airplane was uh, fixed then to put a camera in uh, where the door is. And we flew all the aerial photography for that movie. Oh, wow. But And we were there, I don't know, four or five days. And every day we'd have our lunch right there and everything. And one day, uh, of course, uh, I, I always sat the same place. Juna sat in her place and Jimmy sat in the same place. Everybody sat in the same place all the time. <laughs> no, no assigned seats, but everybody sits but in the anyway, same place. Uh, June Allison and I got our feet tangled up somehow underneath. (laughs) And, of course, Jimmy Stewart noticed it, and he says, he looks over at me and he says, Mel, he says, are you playing footsies with Joni? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, everybody started laughing. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) But but that was one instance that uh, was, uh, and I got a check from Paramount, I think it was Paramount Pictures, for doing that. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I kept that check for a long, long time. <laughs> that's so <laughs> that's funny. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's funny. But, uh, uh, that's fun. So, yeah. yeah. So, when you before you got out the first time or were discharged the first time, mm-hmm. I mean after you know being in World War Two, yeah. um, what was the last mission you flew in World oh, War Two? So well, you flew in Oscar. That was that was about your twenty yeah, yeah. fourth yeah. mission or something like twenty 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 first mission or something like that. But I flew on until I had mm-hmm. uh, thirty missions. In, in the uh, B seventeen, right? I had yeah thirty missions, and uh, was all ready to go home, mm-hmm. and uh, had quit flying, and uh, uh, my pilot come in one day and he said that they have uh, assigned an airplane to him. They want him to get a crew together. They had a a special mission that they wanted him to fly. So he was trying, and of course, he was trying to get a crew together, like a pilot and an engineer and uh, the gunners and everything. And uh, there was supposed to be two special observation officers. And I think they were both, I think they were both colonels, but uh, I wouldn't, I don't know for sure. Because I seen him only shortly, and uh, uh, we were all in flying clothes, so uh, rank is uh, not too 
exposed. But anyway, anyway, uh, I told my pilot I would go with him. And he says, okay. But I was the only one out of, the, out of all the enlisted men in our crew that uh, uh, flew with him that day. And we took off. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't our airplane that we had even. It, it wasn't our airplane. It was Lady Satan. And, uh, of course, it was assigned to another crew, and they were uh, getting ready for their mission. But uh, we took off and flew to France. And there, I could see out over the North Sea and everything, just hundreds and hundreds of ships and boats. And but I had we had noticed that buildup for oh a, a, a long period of time, and we knew that uh, you know the invasion wasn't too far off. And when we took off and went over the North Sea. We could see all these ships. We knew what was taking place. And, of course, it was just uh, a couple hours after daylight, and and uh, the ships were going into the shoreline in France, and uh, we dropped down to about 3,000 feet, and you could fly across uh, the dunes, and the shoreline, and the guys, there was already guys floating in the, in the water, and uh, oh, it was, uh, it was a mess. And uh, of course, the ships were firing their shells, and Germany was firing an aircraft back. And, but anyway, we flew about three hours up and down the coast of France. And uh, before we left and went back home. But uh, that was it. I just, I saw tanks in the water. And all of a sudden, there wouldn't be no tanks. And uh, I think I, somebody had told me later that out of 24 tanks that they launched uh, three or four of them were the only ones that made it and uh, the rest of them all sank uh, and, uh, they had a, a special skirt around them that kept them supposed to kept them afloat but uh, they said the water was just too rough and for the rest of them but they but uh, I went back to so, my. So base. that was your. So that was your thirty-first mission. Thirty-first mission in the B seventeens. Yes. And you had four, fifteen 50. missions in the A twenties. Right. And exactly. most people didn't make it more than twenty-five missions. Well, that's. And yeah, here you are, about to be a hundred, <laughs> on Sunday, right? Yes. Yes, a hundred. Hundred years old that is. <laughs> oh boy! So when you when you think about that, when you think about the fact that you you've made it all these years, yeah. what what comes to mind? Well, uh, I say that uh, the story of Jesus walking on the sands, and he had that young fellow with him. 
and it's called Footprints in the Sun. Mm. Just feel like all those times that I uh, almost lost my wife, that Jesus was just carrying me. So when you think about the fact that you're here now, yeah. you feel... I still do. I know. Uh, I was, you know, married for 74 years before Joyce uh, got sick and passed away. And uh, uh, she was a wonderful wife and um, the best mother in the world. But, uh, I'm sure that she's looking down and smiling. <laughs> and I remember one time you said to me that after Joyce passed away that you really didn't want to yeah. live. You know, you just didn't have a lot of reason to live. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to. Uh, I thought about the hundred then and I but I didn't want to make it. I uh I I just didn't, and uh, of course, my son come in the house one day, and he. And he I wanna, t- we want to talk about him too sometime because he was a Vietnam vet, right? Yes, yes. Go ahead. So he came in the house one day. Yeah. And he said to me, he says, "Dad," he says, he didn't like the, what was happening or taking place. I had lost some weight, uh, wasn't eating right, and uh, you know, and I was, uh, I was no cook, and, uh, and of course I was living by myself and eating hamburgers, and, uh, and they get old after a while. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said he wanted me to find somebody to to take my time up with. <laughs> well, he didn't know that, that I had <laughs> already found a, a young lady <laughs> in church. And you'd already kissed her in church, right? Huh? I said you had already kissed her in church, right? Well, By accident? No. <laughs> oh, so the G-rated podcast. <laughs> but... Uh, no, no, really, by accident, you kiss, or she kissed you in church, right? No, she kissed me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, he said, "Well, why don't you, why don't you move in with her?" And I says to him, "I says, well, she won't let me." <laughs> I says, "Unless I marry her." And uh, he says, well, Dad, do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> and thus at 90, yeah, I mean, 90, yeah. she was 90 and you were 98, right? I, yeah. Well, Peggy was 90. I was 98. <laughs> yeah. And you got married. Yes. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I asked Pastor David if he would marry us. And he says... He looked at me and patted me on his shoulder. 
And he says, I'll fight the rest of them to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, so, so when you, um, when you, when we met, yeah. um, you had been in a document, I mean, you were in a documentary that won an Emmy, right? Uh, yes. And uh-huh. you, yeah. And you like, so you were in a document. Do you want to talk about that? Tell me about sure. what was, uh, well, it was. It was a little before Peggy, right? Well, you want me to talk about the documentary or? Uh, you can uh, talk about, yeah, all of well, it. Well, we went to, uh, you know, I had met uh, Gary Durham, and he was just like a. Just a. Yeah, he neat, was a manager. He yeah. was my, the manager of my life. My life. He had gotten to where he knew more about me than I did. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, there was a uh, there was a B seventeen coming in, right? Like yeah, it was there was be a B seventeen. Well, when I met him, there was a B seventeen coming into Her- to Herndon Airport. Mm-hmm. I got a telephone call from somebody from the mayor's office. And he says, Mr. Jenner, there's a, a B-17 coming in, and we'd like to know if you would like to come and visit. We hear that you were a crew member on a B-17s and, uh, a long time ago, and uh, we thought maybe you would like to. And I says, well, I sure would. Well, they told me the time and the date and everything. I went down and... and, and uh, Parked my truck, got out, walked, started walking towards the airplane, and this gentleman come out of this building and was walking towards me, and uh, I was walking towards the airplane, and we got to the airplane about the same time. He says, "Are you Mel Shunner?" And I said, "Yes," <laughs> and uh, we started talking. So. And we became good friends, and we're still talking. <laughs> yeah, Gary, yeah, Gary. Gary is a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a good man. And so he had you telling your story yeah, and yeah. kind of talking a, a little bit about yeah. different churches and just yeah. talking about World War II. Yeah. Um, and there were parts of it you couldn't tell, but but in this particular um, yeah. documentary that they filmed, yeah, right, it was well. We went to the. Uh, uh, the place on Alpha Vibe 4. Um, oh, uh, Fun, uh, Fun and Sun? The, no, no, no. Herndon, no. On, with the Herndon, the small... Uh, no, it's... Uh, Fantasy, Fantasy of Flight. Fantasy of Flight. Of flight. Oh, yes. Fantasy of Flight. Sorry. Fantasy of Flight. And, uh, but uh, uh, Gary and uh, Terry mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Terry had a whole lot to do with it, and she had a crew of, and uh, yeah, Sean and Jeff yeah, and yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and we went there and we did this film and um, I can and, it's on YouTube, right? The Mel Jenner and, story and, uh, and I was I told ones parts of my story, and uh, they asked me if I would pray, and I did, and I mentioned something about PTSD. That I had PTSD, and uh, I never thought anything about it. And then I got the call from you. Well, it was it was from our my the, it was actually from Jeff. Uh, Jeff. Oh no no. I guess 
No, you. Yeah, you're one. right. I called you. I called Jeff. Got your number mm-hmm, yeah. from Sean. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you said something about PTSD. Well, and then I told you about uh, uh, going to the VA for 17 years and uh, with this group and. Uh, and, and I never missed, never missed a meeting once a week. <laughs> For 17 years, yeah. you went to group therapy, right? Yeah. And, uh, we and it could, helps some, we it helps talk, some, right? You know, we could talk to each other mm-hmm. and, uh, and almost come to the point to where I could talk about Oscar, but I, uh, I may say his name to them. But uh, that was about it, and uh, it just, it just, it was just terrible because you just couldn't talk about it, and you felt terrible inside. Right. So, yeah. Um, it wasn't just the yeah. tears or, or feeling bad, but you just. Felt- and I remember you calling me, and you said, "I'd like to t- talk to you. I'd like to see you, and I'd like to talk to you for," and. Uh, and that was the start of I <laughs> And and you said to me, Sugar, <laughs> I just need you to know that I've been in therapy for many years. <laughs> Seventeen and years. I'm, and I'm happy to come and sit here with you, but nothing you can do is going to change anything. Right. <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> and then later you said, What did you do? Yeah. So, I, I I don't know. It just kind of just kind of happened automatically. It, well, because your brain wants to get better, right? Yeah. So we did this process. We met only a couple times before yeah. you started feeling better. Yeah. And then you said you one day shared this whole story. Yeah. That you just shared a few minutes ago about Oscar. Yeah. And you said. And I said to you, "How are you feeling now?" Like even today, when you talk about that, because yeah. this has been a couple well, of years now. Because I just. I feel like uh, a big load has come off of my my shoulders. You know, uh, I know I carried that long time, and uh, uh, and I uh, I was already having medical problems. I had hives and rashes, and, mm. and my face used to swell up. And my fishing buddy used to always say, Mel, what's wrong? I said, I don't know. I don't know what's causing it or what I ate or something. And uh, this went on for years. I'd go to a doctor, and the doctor would take blood, mm-hmm. and they'd run it through the lab, and Everything looked good except they couldn't find what what the problem was. Wow. And then this one guy says one day, he says, have you ever eaten, taken any Benadryl? I said, no. He says, well, he says, I'm going to give you a prescription. You, get, uh, you didn't need any prescription to get Benadryl. But, <laughs> so I started taking it. And uh, the VA started giving me Benadryl mm-hmm. 
because it worked. Uh, you know, it would, uh, as soon as I would feel this coming on, I'd take a couple of them Benadryl capsules, and of course, it, it would quit. But you still didn't know what the reason was, right? It was later you know, when, when they said know. to you. Yeah. So you were at the VA. I remember you said you yeah. were the lady, a female doctor, and she yeah. told you. What yeah, did she well, tell you? Before that happened, when I had this rash, I uh, uh, and I still didn't know what it was that was causing it. Uh, I went to a psychologist at the VA in Pine Castle. Mm-hmm. And he he examined me for a couple weeks, and uh, he said, "Well, tell me what brings this on." And I told him. I started telling him the story, and I would just start, and of course I'd quit. Well, I went went in to see him when I had an appointment. Went in to see him, and he says. I think we figured out what was causing your problem. He says, you got PTSD. I says, what? He says, you got PTSD. I says, well, what in the world is that? <laughs> well, he says, you may know it as a different name. He says, like combat fatigue. I says, I haven't been in combat in 80 years. <laughs> I don't know. You were yeah. married, so. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. We were talking but about anyway, marriage before this. That, that that'll was, be our next podcast, that marriage. Was, that was the start of me going to the regular VA. And uh, I had an appointment with this young lady doctor. She, I went into her office, and she said, Mr. Jenner, she says, you know why you're here? I says, oh, to see you. And then I says, I don't know why I'm the reason for it. She says, well, I'm here to try to help you with your problem. And I looked at her for a minute, and I says, ma'am, no disrespect to you. But there's no way in the world you could help me with my problem. And uh, she just looked at me and never said a word. After a bit, she says, there's a man upstairs that I would like to introduce you to. And uh, would you go with me? I said, sure. We went upstairs. And this guy was uh, in charge of... Uh, the groups, how. the, the um, yeah. like group therapy. Yeah. Okay. He, uh, anyway, he he had uh, his office, and he. Would, uh, anyway, he, he said, Kore didn't he have Korean and World War II vets? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, he said he he had every week. He said he has a group of guys, twenty uh, some guys, that uh, all veterans. Uh, World War II veterans and Korea veterans. And uh, we get together and talk. And he says, would you come? And I says, sure. And uh, I came, 
attended the meetings and uh, met all the guys. And uh, I happened to be the only Air Force guy there, and the rest of them were all uh, Army and uh, uh, Marine Corps. And there was one Navy guy there. Uh, and uh, I went for 17 years, and I ended up the only one left. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, but it's all for a reason. Yeah, it was you know, I think, a good but, reason. And uh, the thing, uh, Lady Doc was in charge of the whole VA uh, outfit there. Yeah, they, they need women to do that, to, yeah, and, to, uh, to get all you guys in shape. <laughs> she said she'd come in and uh, to see me one time in, while I was in there. And she says, well, Mel, she says, you lasted everybody else. But she said, and we're going to keep this hour open for you. Well, that went on for a couple of years, and uh, the guy that I was seeing and talking with retired, so <laughs> they just wiped it off. But that was the but they were still it. having during COVID. They were still having phone calls, right? During COVID, yeah, they got it on. So I mean, this long. was yeah, they, they were got, going on for a long time. Yeah, they, during per pandemic, they went to uh, phone calls. Yeah. But that's not the same, is it? Yeah. Yeah, not the same. You know, yeah. I try. I tried it for uh, oh, a number of weeks, but my hearing was not that good on the phone, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I just yeah. And, uh, and I think they're still doing it. But, uh, yeah, we should we should go visit one day. And, and so I the, did come see you one day at the VA. Yeah. Remember? <laughs> so. When you were talking earlier about your the hives and the swelling, and they yeah. put you on Benadryl, and that seemed to help it a little bit, but it, it still didn't know why. Well, it, it would make the hives go away, mm-hmm. but um, more than likely they'd come right back the next day again. Right. You know, and yeah. so do you? You don't have those anymore, is that right? No. Well, once in a while, once in a while, I'll, I'll have a hive. Mm-hmm. Pop up somewhere, maybe on my butter yeah. or our leg or something. I get them too, so yeah, I, I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, I don't know what but, causes them, but, but but not like, but oh, not like. No. But do you do you remember? Um, do you remember right before you and Peggy, your wife now, um, right when you were first thinking like, oh wait, I think I think I might like this person. I remember you came in and talked to me, yeah. and and we. And you said, well, I would just feel bad because of Joyce, right? She yeah, wouldn't want. Yeah. And we did a process, the same similar process that we did with the World War II things. Yeah. Because because you had had you had got a hive talking, yeah, you know, yeah. when you were thinking about it. And you came in and we did that. And, you know, it was like the next week or maybe two weeks later that you came in and said, well, we're getting married. <laughs> you, you, you fixed that. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't feel bad anymore. Joyce would want well, me to get married. You know, I start, we started going together and, and everything was uh, so nice. And she was so loving and uh, caring. And uh, it was, uh, uh, and I thought, well, you know, 
I told her to be, to begin we didn't have time for a long engagement because <laughs> here I was 98 almost 98 at that time and uh and she was 90 and uh well so but back to what um Ed was saying you don't have you don't have the kind of response now like PTSD response no, that you used I, to have I uh it's been. You don't have nightmares anymore. No, no you, more nightmares here. Yeah, and you can talk about it because you just yeah, told yeah, you've told I, you've told that story lots of times can, now, right? I can, I can tell that story every day for them. <laughs> and and it doesn't make you have that flood of emotion because you no, used to have. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I asked you, I said, "Well, how how do you feel when you talk about this? Zero is nothing. Like you're okay, and ten is yeah. a flood." And you said. At least an eight. And then when we finished, you said, oh, that was good. I feel a lot better. And and then you said, do you want to know what happened? And, uh, but what was, you know what else was interesting to me? Um, You, we talked again later. And, um, and, and the thing that you said to me was, I just don't know why I'm here. And you were still really feeling some struggle with that. Like, why am I here? Well, I still, I still have that feeling oh, mm-hmm. that why why did I survive and all those guys that uh, I saw go down you know didn't they didn't make it and uh, but when you think about that now do you feel more hopeful uh, well I feel or... uh, you know I feel that just the good Lord had a hand in it and uh, uh, protected me and uh, it was and like Pastor David says, uh, we're not through with you. And, uh, yeah. That's why I said I, if I can help one, one veteran to live with hope. Yeah. And uh, realize yeah. he doesn't have to have, yeah. he doesn't have to suffer with PTSD. Right. Yeah. And I didn't have to hear your story I, at all. Like, like you told me afterwards, but yeah. while we were doing it, I didn't have to know the story. I didn't have to know what exactly what you had been yeah, through for us yeah. to go through that. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the beauties of this. Yeah. Like I don't yes. uh-huh. have to hear it. Like, yeah. What were you going to say? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think when you're looking at hope and, and yeah. you know, the, the why question, which is always a, yeah. I don't know, not often not a helpful question to ask yourself, <laughs> yeah. but um uh, but I, you know, I think I'm thinking about the show a little egotistically. But um, you know, it's Mel's show is like the most listened to show, and <laughs> in, in our uh, podcast, you know, podcast. Mm-hmm. and I think about you know, a whole new generation of veterans with yeah. you know PTS yeah. are yeah. listening to this and hearing your story. That even after seventy years. Yeah. from the yeah. you know the trauma yeah. itself um you yeah. can get help yeah. you can clear that stuff out yeah. and learn to be able to share your story to help others um and not feel yeah. bad every day yeah. right i mean at, yeah. at, you know at the end well of the- you know when i uh <clears throat> after that period of time at the at the va when uh well i quit going they called me and said they start a new group, and uh, and and want to know if I'd come. I said sure, 
And uh, so I went and Oscar, of course, uh, Jimbo was uh, there. And uh, we introduced each other around, going around, and we gave them our name and, and know what branch of the service we was in and uh, what period of the war we was if, had something to do with. Anyway, there was about six guys in Oscar, and, uh, I mean, Jimbo and I. And when it came around to my turn and I started telling them, my story a little bit, and uh, we went around to another one, another guy, and the guy says, <laughs> he says, uh, there's no story that I want to tell you, but he says, I want to hear what Bill Jenner's got to say. <laughs> oh, well, that's went on for couple, three months, maybe. And uh, we'd start our, the meeting, and and everybody would say, let's just let Mel tell his story. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. And the... I, uh, okay. Gary and I was went to his church, the Pres Presbyterian Church, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, well, one of them, anyway, one of the big there. church over there on uh, Popkin Island Road, and uh, uh, I told a story about the Berlin airlift. And, uh, oh yeah, let's talk about and, that. Uh, uh, that part of it, and uh, when I got to the part where. Uh, uh, we were dropping candy bars to the kids, and this little girl was there with her brother, and her brother caught uh, one of the candy bars, and uh, she was four years old. And he gave her a bite of chocolate, the first time she had ever had chocolate. <laughs> and uh, I started walking off of the, the stage, down to where my wife and this lady was sitting alongside her, Joyce. And uh, I grabbed her by the hand and brought her out. And I says, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> this is Barbara Kaiser. She was that little four-year-old girl. <laughs> and of course, I would just break up. Afterwards, I apologize to the audience for not being able to control myself. And then I, at the end, I had a half a dozen women come up and say, you don't have to apologize for that. <laughs> she says, everybody in the whole audience had their heads filled up. <laughs> Well, and, and there, you know, to, to some degree, tears of joy, right? This is yeah, uh, someone you is. helped, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and I think those tears are it was certainly tears okay. Of joy, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it still is. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway. Well, we're glad you're still here. Well, I, uh, when, 
What, what, so, so has anybody asked you, what, what did you learned now that you're about 100, almost 100? What have I learned? Yeah. What's, what's, what's your takeaway? What should, we, what, what should we all do? I say this. Since I've been coming to the First Baptist Church, I have so many friends. And it's, without friends, you're nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just everybody, everybody has been so grateful and uh, thankful. And, uh, and they, uh, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. So I have, I have, can you tell one or maybe two more stories that I've heard of? Yeah. I don't think, I think they're fairly, um, so one, one of the stories I know is when you were in A20, you said you had a crash, it crashed or it, you had to land quickly crashed. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Can you uh, tell? Yeah. Well, this is when I was, uh, uh, with the RAF. Okay. And, uh, uh, we we went on this mission and uh, we got shot up pretty good. And when we come back, we couldn't get the gear down. Mm. And uh, and we just uh, we thought, well, this is going to be it, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we come in and landed on the on the dirt part the and uh skidded skidded and of course uh, one of the engines caught fire and uh when the airplane stopped i got out and and run to get away from the airplane i turned around and looked and the pilot was still in front, and he couldn't get the the canopy open. Mm. So I run back, and I could get the handle and and open it. Mm-hmm. Well, by that time, those uh, crash crew had 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 come up, and uh, guys were running around with the fire extinguishers and everything. And uh, anyway, we dragged this, uh, the pilot out, and because uh, he he had hurt his leg somehow, he couldn't couldn't hurt couldn't run. So, but that was uh, that was the only thing that happened during the whole forty six mission. That's amazing. Yeah. And you, you alluded, you mentioned it earlier about when you're, when you were younger mm-hmm. and you almost, you almost didn't make it. Yeah. Can you, can you tell that story now? Sure. Like, is that, is that okay? Okay. okay. Uh, I was six years old and my mother uh, had just given birth to my sister and uh in them days, uh, you didn't go to the hospital when you had children. You, didn't, you know, you had <laughs> uh, at least that's the way I was told. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, a friend of my mother's 
had a son. He was about uh, uh, eight or maybe nine, nine, eight or nine years old. His name was Wilbur. And uh, he and her came to the house to visit my mother. And, of course, the baby. And uh, uh, in the back of my house, the city was drilling uh, a trench to bury some sewer pipes at mm -hmm. that time because the cities all didn't have sewer pipes. And uh, they were going to put these big sewer pipes in the tr in this trench. And they had this machine and it drilled, made the, the whole, the trench in back of my house. Well, there was a, the house closest to me next door had a little girl and she was about six probably. Same age I was, anyway. And uh, we were playing. And we decided to go back to where that trench was. Well, the trench was inside the trench. There was still dirt in there that was had been loose, that had fallen in, that they had taken out. And it made a, a big V in the bottom of that. So... The little girl and I got on one side of the V, and Wilbur was on the other side. And uh, we had uh, some newspaper and some matches. We was going to build a fire down there. And we had just lit the, the newspaper, and uh, the whole trench caved in. Well, the only thing that was showing above the earth was my hand. One of my hands, I don't know which one it was. And uh, there was a guy that happened to be walking along the top, and he saw that hand. And of course, they dug, dug us out, the little girl and I out. And... Uh, this guy carried me to the house and uh, knocked on the door, and uh, Wilbur's mother came to the door, and the guy told her what had happened. And, and uh, first thing she said was, well, where's Wilbur? And I said, well, he's down there, too. And the guy says, no, there's nobody else down there. And I says, yes, there is. He's down there. Well, they went back, then they dug more. And sure enough, they found him, but he was uh, had already been deceased and mm -hmm. was gone. But... Uh, but uh, I, I think about that, too, and have thought how lucky I was that they found us. If nobody would have found us, well, there would have been three of us down there. Yeah, and and you used to not be able to tell that story either. No. And when you tell that story now, yeah. 
Sure, it's, it's a, a sad story that a child died. Yeah, it's, that's, yeah. that's sad. And I got a picture. In fact, I saw that picture just the other day of uh, me in uniform at Wilbur's grave. Oh, wow. The headstone, okay. it says or, O-R-R. Mm. And I'm standing there. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, next time I come across it, I'll pull it out. I'll show it to you. Okay, yeah. And, uh, hmm. But now when you talk about that, you it well, was sad, but you're, yeah. you yeah. feel okay. I, uh, yeah. I just, uh, so, so fortunate and lucky that uh, here I am pushing 100 and the good Lord make it, I'll make it. <laughs> well, next year we might be sitting here at 101, right? <laughs> yeah, next year it'll be 101. <laughs> yeah. we, got a, we got a party for you on Sunday, I think. Yeah, yeah Pastor David says he... I'm going to be 110. <laughs> <laughs> so as we uh, kind of wind things down, Mel. Wait, you got to say land the plane. We're talking about planes this whole uh, time. Sorry. As we safely land the plane. Safely today, land the plane today. With yeah. all of our landing gear down and intact. Yeah. Mel, you know, for a veteran listening to yeah. this uh, episode or, or your other episode, um, what advice do you have for them? What I know? just say Stick in there and uh, do the best you can. And uh, there's hope. There's hope. You find the right person to talk to and and uh, get it all out. Uh, and and, yeah. and you don't have to talk about it at first, right? Yeah. Well, no, you don't want to talk about it. And and so when you first came in, we didn't have to talk about it, right? That's you right. just chose to afterwards. Like I didn't know any of this. Yeah, I know. And That's what's amazing, right? Yeah, and the thing is, it feels so good, really, to get it out, and uh, because how many efforts did you make, and then couldn't do it? You know. It feels good, yeah. Well, I'm thankful that you were willing to work with me, even though you weren't sure what we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. or if there was any reason. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, uh, thank you for coming in today yeah, and talking well, with us. Yeah. I appreciate your time. Well, any Anytime I get to hang out with you and talk. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening today. Please like, subscribe, and share this with someone in your tribe. You never know who needs to hear it. And with that, thank you for listening, and have a good day.